before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline continues to remain your number one place for all your betting needs and sports info as we head into the heart of Major League Baseball season. Head to their website or use your mobile device to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take. It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is July 5th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. We have got a fantastic little project that we are working on. It's called The Fall of the Spurs Dynasty, and episode number two comes out tomorrow. So this is your day to check out episode one of this project. I feel like I've plugged it a little bit, but I feel like I haven't adequately plugged it. It's in collaboration with the SB Nation site for the Spurs. We got a couple hundred people tuned into the first episode. It was so rewarding. And I'm just thankful for everyone who's helped continue to support us along these fine projects. And uh, wanted to mention that on the front end of the podcast today before we go further. Also, today's episode is going to revolve around an NBA star value cheat sheet. I put together a cheat sheet based on the last like three years of NBA trades between players who I value as like game-changing type of players. They're players that... Uh, elevate the production of a team of sorts like top 40 players in the NBA there's been about 12 trades of top 40 players in the last three years and I wanted to uh, break down all of the news transactions and cycles uh, in the aftermath of Rudy Gobert getting traded and in the aftermath of DeJounte Murray getting traded and the fact that Kevin Durant is about to go for the largest price tag in the history of the NBA as long as the Brooklyn Nets are poised to wait it out and make such a trade, which I, I said originally when he requested the trade on June 30th that it would be 14 days before he gets traded. We're getting close to like five days, so we got time to talk about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. There's no need to play our last dance theme song because nothing has changed in the time since then. I was also thinking that by the time we got the Tuesday's episode, we would have a verdict on the Deshaun Watson case and Deshaun Watson's suspension and appeal process would begin because remember we talked about last week the NFL wants to have that resolved by the beginning of Browns training camp, which increases the chances that the Browns are going to mess, or the NFL and the Browns and the uh, the um, 
collectively bargained appeal process is going to not give justice to the victims of Deshaun Watson's sexually predatory behavior. So I was thinking that there might be a resolution. It makes me feel good that this is still continuing out through the weekend, considering they finished the appeals process on Thursday. Uh, So this is now five days since that's happened and still no verdict. Obviously, they took a break for the weekend, but still good that they're at least taking time to deliberate as this process tries to get sped up. So sometime during this week, we'll have that come out. I just wanted to mention that in case uh, we're recording this on Monday at three o'clock West Coast time. Uh, If there's a Deshaun Watson verdict in the time coming out of this, uh, the episode will be on Thursday as we talk about the suspension. So we'll have the cheat sheet coming up a little bit. It'll be more lighthearted intellectual analysis What I wanted to do for the A block here is to talk a little bit about the Brittany Griner detainment in Russia, which is a story that I haven't talked about because when this first began, a lot of the things I was hearing was people saying they're trying to negotiate with the Russian government. They're trying the NBA, the WNBA, other corporations, the US government, even at times are using their connections to work to try and bring Brittany Griner home. And if you make this more of a story. Russia is going to understand the value of what Brittany Griner means to the United States and potentially will then become a prisoner of war situation, which Russia ups the negotiation tactic in order to allow Brittany Griner to leave. And that was about three or four months ago. And so I kind of just let the story go a little bit in part because I was being told and and probably so at the time that it's better to let this be a negotiation point so they can reach a quick settlement and bring Brittany Griner home. And for people who maybe haven't been following the story, Brittany Griner is a famous WNBA player. She is lesbian. She's married to a woman. And she is black in a country that being black and LGBTQ plus is a double jeopardy situation in Russia. She, um, during the off season, would go play in Russia because... The United States is, in one of the rare instances in the world, the United States is not the major uh, form of women's basketball. They are not the central hub of women's basketball. The biggest women's basketball leagues in the world are in Europe, and Russia, for intents and purposes, is classified as Europe in this respect. And so Brittany Griner makes three, four, five times as much money playing in Russia and in Turkey and other places around Russia where other um, women's basketball players play. There's a famous 30 for 30 um, podcast on Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird going to play with a Russian oligarch back in the 2000s. If you want to hear more about that story, I think that's really interesting. Um, If you want to hear about women's basketball not being supplied sufficient money from the United States, despite the fact that it's a popular sport, it's just had 50 years behind men's basketball and men's sports and so that the league is still new to development and so you're only making two hundred thousand dollars and they want to salary cap the sport and all that stuff so that's kind of the backstory of why players are going to russia Brittany griner was detained in the immediate aftermath of russia beginning the war against ukraine and was detained for having vape pen cartridges and is being found with additional charges that may or may not be fraudulent because Brittany Griner is a United States 
fam- relatively famous United States citizen, and so now Brittany Griner has been classified as a prisoner of war in Russia and risks being detained in Russia indefinitely, uh, even though, you know, on the charges, her trial's beginning and it looks like there's going to be an, an unfair trial that will ultimately lead to her being uh, sentenced to 10 years in prison unless they can come to an agreement with the United States government to release her as a prisoner of war. And so the situation now increased on the 4th of July when I saw that Brittany Griner wrote a letter to Joe Biden. And it was actually written a little while ago, but it was released on the 4th of July. uh, And that was kind of when it became a news story. And I saw that it had like 5% of the engagement on social media as the video of Joey Chestnut bodying a protester at the Nathan's famous 4th of July hot dog situation. And so I felt like I just wanted to talk about it for a second because I don't know enough about Russian and Ukrainian and United States politics to understand. I know uh, some of the economic backgrounds of it just because I am, that's where I'm like acutely trained is in economics. And so I understand that. And I'm able to empathize with this situation where it just must be horrifying to be trapped in a prison in a country that you are not a part of. And not just that, a country that is hostile to LGBTQ plus people, like in a way that the United States is hostile to LGBTQIA plus people. It seems like a different type of hostility in Russia where you can be killed. I mean, you can be killed in America for being gay, but you can be killed in Russia for being gay or in this case detained for an extended period of time. And it's it's not it's a different from what I can tell. It's a different kind of antagonism as the United States. I Obviously, I've never been to Russia. I don't study Russian geopolitics or Russian culture. I'm just taking this as a secondhand point of view. And that just must be a scary situation to find yourself in is being detained in a Russian prison with no knowledge of when you're ever going to be allowed to leave. And it's just a really, really difficult situation. And the fact that it's now gone on four months and we have to talk about this story more brings it to a point where it's like, okay, this isn't going to have an easy resolution And it might lead to the United States bringing home a whole bunch of detainees and Russia, uh, and in exchange, the United States is going to release a number of Russian detainees, which by the way, all for it, all for, (laughs) there used to be the phrase back in the the old timey days, you don't negotiate with terrorists, negotiate with terrorists. It's fine. It's a mutually beneficial situation. Just negotiate with the terrorists. There's no reason to actively work against your own interests just to stand on the principle of we won't negotiate with terrorists. No, it's okay. It's okay to negotiate with terrorists. So the United States does it all the time. We're the leader of gun sales to Saudi Arabia. We, we negotiate with terrorists all the time. Like it, It's okay to l- release Russian prisoners in the United States in exchange for Russian prisoners in uh release united states prisoners in russia like that's an okay trade-off i don't understand the negotiations behind it i don't know how this is going to be resolved it just feels like a really scary situation and for Brittany griner i hope there's some consolation in having lawyers at her availability and her ability to call her family 
it's just a small consolation in what has to be a really scary situation. And if you empathize with the situation, which it's easy for me to empathize with the situation while I'm standing here, I'm also really good at empathy. And so if you think about that, it just must be a horrifying situation to find yourself in. And you want to try and right the wrongs. And a lot of great people, not just in the WNBA, but in the NBA, and people who have connections to Brittany Griner, like, and people who have connections to the WNBA have voiced support for Brittany Griner. And sometimes being an ally is the best you can do in an incredibly shitty situation that involves global geopolitics and a war where, you know, the Ukrainians are being invaded by Russia. And at the same time, the Ukrainians aren't the perfect allies to support but they're they are better than the country that uh, the the authoritarian government that's trying to overtake them and, and take away their rights like it's a really complex situation that just it's a shitty situation to find yourself in it's a shitty situation that you've gotten to this point and i just empathize with Brittany griner and a lot of people in the wnba who have personal relationships with her and care about her in a unique way like it's going to be incredibly rewarding when Brittany Griner does get back to the United States and can have that safety and security. It just might cost her losing years of her life or many, many months of her life. And that's just a really, really shitty situation to find yourself in. And I hope that it continues to get appropriate news coverage on the back end. It just... It's difficult because at the very beginning, we didn't want it to have major news coverage, but now it's important because otherwise we're going to just forget about Brittany Griner. And if we forget about Brittany Griner, then all of a sudden this, because this is a story that requires action by United States government officials, because now we're talking about prisoners of war situations and it's all really, really difficult. And I just... I just feel like I don't know what to do around this situation, but the best I can do is just talk, or not the best I can do, the least I can do, the least I can do is just bring it up for 10 minutes and empathize and try and be an ally around this situation, because I haven't really talked about this, and just feeling empathy and feeling sadness and just trying to feel like how scary of a situation that must be uh, for someone, it's just, it's a really tough situation, and you know, maybe it's a maybe it's a convoluted, complicated transaction, but ultimately, it's someone who was in a really bad spot and now is going to face detainment by the Russian government. And the freakiest part also is that she was just vanished for three weeks, like no one knew where she was for three weeks. And that's just a horrifying situation to find yourself in. And people who really like have personal relationships with her and care about her and the support of the WNBA, which again is, is a big part of it, even if it doesn't get, again, it gets 5% of the national attention of Joey Chestnut bodying a protester at the Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest. Like, even if it gets that level of support, maybe we don't want national level support because then it ups the price and hurts negotiations, but at least just acknowledging that it's existing is something that I haven't really done except for one point earlier on on a podcast. So wanted to spend 10 minutes talking about it and just empathizing and just pointing out it's just a messed up situation, man. Hopefully the, the, the simplest transactional approach is we release Russian prisoners, U.S. prisoners get released back to the, to the United States, we send some Russian prisoners back to Russia, and boom, we can walk away. 
but man, that's just a shitty situation to find yourself in. And, uh, maybe the transaction isn't as simple as that. So maybe it's going to take more months and, and more, more years, hopefully not years, but it'll just take a longer amount of time and just empathize with what has to be a really, really scary situation. And I hope for Brittany Griner's release, and I hope that the people who love and care for her will get to see all of their hard work over the past four to five months pay off. Showing that empathy and that support is, well, in my mind, the very least that I can do, considering other than that, I just haven't talked about it, except for maybe one time over the last four months. In my mind, the least I can do is just show empathy and support. So to wrap up this 10 minutes or so of conversation about Brittany Griner, let's read the the letter that Brittany Griner uh, sent to President Joe Biden sometime last week, but it was released on the 4th of July as a, as a means to get some level of attention. Let's show it the appropriate attention that it deserves. As I sit here in a Russian prison, alone with my thoughts and without the protection of my wife, family, friends, Olympic jersey, or any accomplishments, I'm terrified I might be here forever. On the 4th of July, our family normally honors the service of those who fought for our freedom, including my father, who is a Vietnam War veteran. It hurts thinking about how I usually celebrate this day, because freedom means something completely different to me this year. I realize you're dealing with so much, but please don't forget about me and the other American detainees. Please do all you can to bring us home. I voted for the first time in 2020, and I voted for you. I believe in you. I still have so much good to do with my freedom that you can help restore. I miss my wife. I miss my family. I miss my teammates. It kills me to know they are suffering so much right now. I'm grateful for whatever you can do at this moment to get me home. Awkward transition, awkward transition, awkward transition, awkward transition. All right, all right, all right. I should make awkward transition imaging, I think. That would be that would be really good to use in those positions. No easy way to transition. That's the best way I can think to do it. Anyways, let's talk about the NBA now. And uh, I hate that I have to do that transition from serious topics. Usually when we have serious topics, we try to block it off for one podcast. No easy way to do it. Okay, NBA transition, good. Okay, so when the, uh, when the trade between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Utah Jazz was going down last week, I started thinking about whether Rudy Gobert was paid, uh, was acquired appropriately, was Rudy Gobert overpaid, all kinds of stuff like that. And then people were saying like the Heat were going to get Kevin Durant for Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry, and like I, I think it was it was Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and like two draft picks. And then the report came out, I don't remember where it came from, but it was on Friday, where they said Kevin Durant only wants to go to Miami if Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, and Jimmy Butler are all still on the Miami Heat. And I looked at that, I'm like, well, there's literally no way the Miami Heat can acquire Kevin Durant in that scenario. Kevin Durant getting traded for... 
a tw- uh, Kevin Durant getting traded for Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and salary filler that's not Kyle Lowry. Like, there's no scenario where they would make that trade. Like, Brooklyn would just hold on to Kevin Durant and wait for a better offer because Kevin Durant doesn't have a no-trade clause. For people who don't know, you can't have a no-trade clause if you haven't been on a team for longer than a certain number of years. And so that's why Kevin Durant doesn't have a no-trade clause in his contract. When I would have just assumed, of course, Kevin Durant has a no-trade clause somewhere in his contract. Apparently, he does not. It's in the collective bargaining agreement, et cetera, et cetera. So basically what I started thinking about after that was, okay, so what is the value of Kevin Durant? Because the value of Kevin Durant is whatever someone's willing to pay for Kevin Durant. If someone wants to give up their star player and eight draft picks for Kevin Durant, then that's what Kevin Durant is worth. But what does the market say that Kevin Durant is worth and what does the market say that most NBA stars are worth and so last year I concocted the way that I think of NBA star talent and basically I organized it by a tiers list this began with football where I put quarterbacks organized by a tiers list because I don't want to debate whether Matthew Stafford is the ninth best quarterback in the NFL or the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. It's basically semantics. One day he'll be the ninth best. The next week he'll be the 10th best. It all's dependent on performance. Hell, the next week he might be the 20th best. And then the Super Bowl, he's number one, and he's one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, it's all very, very dumb, but it helps us organize our thoughts and uh, organize this chaotic league that takes a lot of hours of investing brain power into to understand. And it's why there are fewer sports fans than ever before. What I wanted to do was look at the last three years and figure out how many times has a top 30 to 40 player been traded. Because basically, there are 30 to 40 players in the NBA that I regard as like game-changing players or quote-unquote net positive players. So like De'Aaron Fox probably doesn't qualify on this list of being an all-star, but like if you have one of these players, you're probably good enough to make the playoffs. Or if you have two of these players, you're guaranteed to make the playoffs. And these are the players that I regard as like the ones that actually change the game. Other players can like rotate in and out, but like if people want to argue that Jay Crowder is a top 50 player in the NBA, it feels like a semantics argument because you can find about 10 or 20 Jay Crowders available in the NBA, and most teams have a version of Jay Crowder. They're players that you would at least consider paying large amounts of money to. So we're talking about like four tiers of players from tier four being like fringe all-star players, like players who you could see making an all-star team or have made maybe one all-star team in three years. Tier three is players who you pencil in as all-stars every single year. You know, this this is basically like the 11 through 25 best players in the NBA or 11 through 20 best players in the NBA. Tier two is your superstars and tier one is your generational talents. And I guess at this point, the only people I would put in tier one are... Giannis, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Luka about to be, maybe Jokic is there right now, but Jokic is the second generational star behind Giannis. It's basically just Giannis, Durant, Steph Curry, 
and Luca and the aging LeBron James, who, you know, credit to him for being from four generations ago and still sometimes looking like a generational talent. But basically, those are your four. Oh, Kawhi Leonard would also be in the mix there at times because Kawhi Leonard's a bit of a tweener. Jason Tatum's trying to knock down the door, but Jason Tatum's a tier two star. Uh, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid are tier two stars. Uh, James Harden used to be a tier two star, except for those two years where he was MVP good and as good as Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and almost beat them in 2018. But basically, that's the game. John Morant's a tier two star. Zion Williamson's a tier two star. Uh, Devin Booker's kind of on the precipice, but Devin Booker's probably the top of tier three. And he's someone you pencil in as an all-star every year. And top two tiers are superstars. So basically that's the organization. You have generational superstars, tier one, superstars, tier two, tier three, all-stars, tier four, fringe all-stars, tier five is like Jared Allen. (laughs) So tier five is like very, very good players on teams like Yusuf Nurkic is tier five, never going to make an all-star team but still has a 15-year NBA career, still makes an impact on the floor. Uh, I know I'm choosing all centers. Who's another one? Um, Buddy Heald is a Tier 5 player. <laughs> that's that's kind of the, the mind I'm thinking of. So basically, generational stars are 1 through 5. Uh, the superstars are 6 through 12. All-stars are 12 through 20 or 12 through 25 Fringe All-Stars are 25 through 40. Best players in the NBA. That's kind of the idea. It doesn't matter whether Brandon Ingram's the 24th or the 25th best player in the NBA. It's just relatively how to organize the tiers. Okay, so Tier 1, 5 best players. Tier 2, 6 through 12-ish. 11, 12, 13, something like that. It depends how you feel about Paul George. Tier 3 All-Stars. Tier 4 Fringe All-Stars, Tier 5 the Yusuf Nurkic and Jarrett Allen tier. I know Jarrett Allen made the All-Star team last year, and he's young, so he's got a chance to to take a, a step up. But that's basically how we're organized. CJ McCollum also is Tier 4, Tier 5 Fringe guy. So how many of those players have been traded in the last three years? That was the calculation I was trying to make. How many of those All-Star caliber players have been traded in the last three years. And after going through all of the transactions and figuring out who's what caliber player, et cetera, et cetera, what I basically came up with is 12 trades. There have been 12 trades of tier three or tier four or tier two or tier one. Of the 40 best players in the NBA, there's been 12 trades and not like DeMar DeRozan sign and trade with the Spurs and the Bulls because sign and trades you just kind of get whatever you can get for them I'm talking about like legitimate trades with years on their contract legitimate trades of top 40 players players you would be okay giving a max contract to is basically the the calculation there there's been 12 that I can find over the past three seasons which was surprising to me because in my mind, I thought to myself, oh, the last three years have not had a lot of major stars moving around. But what I realized is a lot of tier one and tier two players have been on the same team for the last three years. And those are probably the players that matter the most in the NBA. But when you get to tier three and tier four, there actually has been a lot of movement. 
So the, the quote unquote line of demarcation that I'm working off of is after free agency 2019. If it was after free agency 2019, those are the trades that we're working with. And that doesn't, I, I knocked out the Westbrook for Chris Paul trade also. That was like a, like in the middle of free agency 2019. So basically Paul George sign and trade, that one's not going to count. The uh, Westbrook Chris Paul trade after that one, let's say after Westbrook for Chris Paul, how many trades of tier one through four players have there been? And basically I concocted 12, 12 trades and try to figure out what the value is of these players who have been traded in such moves. So let's start off with tier four players. So we start off with tier four trades from the last three years. There's been five of them that I can find. First one on the the calculation, first one on the list is Domatis Sabonis. So that was March 2022. Domatis Sabonis from the Indiana Pacers was traded to the Kings for Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald and a couple other pieces that I don't think matter and ultimately they flipped some of those pieces and a first rounder to get Kevin Herter. So the trade I'm recording is Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. And you can take it a step further and be like, Sabonis isn't really a tier four player, even though Sabonis made an all-star team and was the best player on the five-seeded Pacers a couple of years ago. Sabonis is Sabonis and Kevin Herter was traded basically for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and a first-round pick. If you want to move the Justin Holidays and the um, the Mo Harklesses and uh, Jeremy Lambs around in the trade, it was basically Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, and Sabonis and Herder were traded for Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and a first. Next one is October, November 2020, which is Mike Conley traded from the Utah Jazz to, or from the Memphis Grizzlies to the Utah Jazz. Mike Conley was traded for, if you break the whole trade down, he was traded for two first rounders and two second rounders. Memphis also got Ricky Rubio and, uh, so basically the original trade was Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder, and two firsts for Mike Conley. And then they traded Jay Crowder for Justice Winslow and they cut Justice Winslow. So they didn't get anything for Jay Crowder. And they traded Grayson Allen for two second round picks to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. So it was basically two firsts and two seconds for Mike Conley. Uh, next one, last week, DeJounte Murray, three first rounders from the Hawks. Nikola Vucevic in March of 2021, three first rounders from the Chicago Bulls to the Orlando Magic. It was technically Wendell Carter and two first rounders, but Wendell Carter was the sixth pick like the year before or two years before, so I counted that as a first round pick. Um, three first round picks for Vucevic and Drew Holiday to the Bucks was traded for two firsts and the equivalent of three pick swaps. So the trade originally was Eric Bledsoe and two firsts and two pick swaps, and then the uh, Pelicans traded Eric Bledsoe to Memphis, and that trade was Valanchunas and Steven Adams switching teams. So Steven Adams goes from New Orleans to Memphis, and Eric Bledsoe and the uh, 17 pick went to Memphis 
and the 10 pick went to New Orleans. No, wait. New Orleans, 17 pick, 10 pick was the the swap. Basically, they got another pick swap in there, and Memphis ended up moving up to 10. They got Zagger Williams. It's very confusing, but basically think of it two first, three first round pick swaps for Drew Holiday. So those are the five trades that I got in tier four. And by the way, if you check out our, our Instagram, our Twitter, uh, there's links in the description to this episode also. You can see the full map of the the tiers list. So tier four, there's been five trades in the last three years. Sabonis for Halliburton and Buddy Heald. Conley, two first, two second rounders. DeJounte Murray, three first rounders. Vucevic, three first rounders. Drew Holiday, two firsts, and three first-round pick swaps. So basically, the calculation here is, if you line all those trades up, a Tier 4 star player, which is the kind of player that I would say, if they're your third best player, you're in a good position. If they're your second best player, you're going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. If they're your best player, you're probably going to be a play-in team or miss the playoffs altogether. So... Of those tier four players, it seems like their value is three first round picks. That's the middle. Maybe you value Tyrese Halliburton at the equivalent of two first round picks now. If Think of it this way. If you traded Tyrese Halliburton tomorrow, what could you get in exchange for Tyrese Halliburton? If the Pacers decided tomorrow we're going to trade Tyrese Halliburton, what would a team give up for Tyrese Halliburton? I'd argue it'd be roughly like two first round picks to acquire Tyrese Halliburton. So even though people feel like Sabonis didn't go for great value, it basically walks away as Buddy Heald and two first-rounders for Sabonis. Maybe Buddy Heald goes for a first, maybe he doesn't. He's just a volume scorer. But Buddy Heald and two firsts. Conley, two first-rounders, two second-rounders. DeJounte Murray, three first-rounders. Vucevic, three first-rounders. Drew Holiday, two first-rounders, and three pick swaps. These Tier 4 players are worth three first-round picks. So if you were to trade, I'm just thinking of Tier 4 players off the top of my head. Brandon Ingram, Tier 4 player, worth a couple of first-round picks. Uh, If you were to trade Jared Allen, be worth three first-round picks. If you were to trade DeJounte Murray, which they just did... If, who are the fringe All-Stars this year? You know, Darius Garland is young, obviously, just got the giant extension. Darius Garland would be worth three first-round picks if available on the open market. That tier of player is worth the equivalent of three first-round picks. You can decide what first-round picks are worth in doing the calculation, but ultimately it'd be worth roughly three first-round picks to get one of these fringe All-Star caliber players. Which, if you're looking around at most teams, most teams either have a player as good as a Tier 4 player, or they're tanking in the lottery in order to acquire a player who is that good. So, the equivalent of three, which by the way, this doesn't bode well for Oklahoma City, who gave up three first-round picks for pick number 11, which was that uh, that shooting guard from, or the small forward from France, I don't remember what his name was, but... Basically, OKC traded three first-round picks to New York for the 11 pick in the draft, and I don't think that turned into uh, exactly the kind of trade they were hoping for. But OKC's got a lot of picks they can cash in. So that's basically the value I'm finding there. So over the last three years, that kind of the, the Tier 4 players, the fringe All-Stars, the caliber of player that is Sabonis, who made an All-Star team in 2020, 
uh, or 2021, whichever year it was, 2021, Mike Conley, who made an all-star team in 2021, DeJounte Murray, who made the all-star team in 2022, Vucevic, who made it in 2019, Drew Holiday, who's never made an all-star, but was obviously the third best player on a team that won the championship. That caliber player is worth three first-round picks. Okay, so now let's move to tier three. So these are people who you pencil in as an all-star every single year. It is players 12 through 25. And if I'm listing them off the top of my head in no particular order, it's, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Paul George, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Chris Paul, uh, who else would be in here? Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, just players that you pencil in. Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown would be in this group. Zach Levine would be in this group. Maybe Zach Levine's tier four, but the point still stands. Like, it's that caliber of player. Like, that's most of the people who I just listed off are your tier three stars. I'd also put Ben Simmons in the camp, but that's another question. Uh, so, there have been three such players traded as tier three stars over the last three years. We go to first October of 2020 when Chris Paul was traded from the Thunder to the Suns in exchange for Ty Jerome, two first-round picks, and one pick swap. Now, that pick swap came from Ricky Rubio, which was also part of the trade, and the point still stands here that the trade was was for a Tier 3 star. In hindsight, it's clear that Oklahoma City didn't get enough for Chris Paul, and they probably valued Chris Paul as a tier three or a tier four star. And Chris Paul was undervalued, not just by Oklahoma City, but by the entire league. Because everyone knew that Oklahoma City was going to trade Chris Paul. Chris Paul was going to get to choose the team that he played for. Oklahoma City did not get enough value for Chris Paul. And by the way, the trade also included Kelly Oubre in a first, but Kelly Oubre got traded to the Warriors for a first round pick, and that's basically the calculation on how I got to Ty Jerome two firsts and two picks and one pick swap was basically all that Oklahoma City got for Chris Paul. Now in fairness, the Suns re-signed him. Chris Paul's essentially going to make 6 years 200 million playing for the Suns and that's a bad contract for the Phoenix Suns that they're probably trying to get out of right now. But basically, uh Chris Paul got undervalued in a trade but basically he went for two firsts and a pick swap and Ty Jerome the second trade was um well the second James Harden trade so this was January of 2022 the second Harden trade from Brooklyn to Philadelphia by this point James Harden was a tier three player but back in 2020 when he got traded he was a tier two player but basically so in exchange the the um uh, the the Philadelphia 76ers, there we go, took me a second. The Philadelphia 76ers gave up Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and two first-rounders for James Harden. It's a Tier 3 player that they got in return. Okay, next up is Rudy Gobert, who got traded on Friday. Rudy Gobert got traded for five first-round picks. There's also Malik Beasley, I'm just counting Malik Beasley as a, a throw-in piece. Maybe they get some value for him, but Malik Beasley's just going to play a few years on 
Uh, Malik Beasley's going to play a few years on Utah and probably go into free agency, and maybe Utah gives him an extension, but it's not really like an impact player. But for the sake of simplicity, they got five first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. They got Walker Little, who was, the I think, the 23rd pick in the draft this year, and four first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. And those are the only Tier 3 players that have been traded in the last three years. It's Chris Paul, the second James Harden trade, and Rudy Gobert. And by the way, when Chris Paul was traded, he was valued as a Tier 4 player. It's just the entire league undervalued Chris Paul as a Tier 4 player. So this tier is difficult to figure out because in hindsight, people think the Thunder didn't get enough for Chris Paul and the 76ers paid too much for James Harden. So it's difficult to find where the true median is on the tier three star value. We'll come back to figuring out the value of the tier three stars after we talk about the tier two stars. So the tier two stars, if I'm just thinking of them off the top of my head, would be Jokic at the very top of that group, although Jokic might be a superstar. I think next year we'll kind of change the calculation on Jokic. It's Jokic... It's Jason Tatum, it's Joel Embiid, it's Ja Morant, it's Anthony Davis, it's Devin Booker, it's maybe Trey Young, although Trey Young might be in the Tier 3 group, it's maybe Kyrie Irving, and there's probably one or two that I'm not mentioning, but that's basically the entire group, is Jokic, Embiid, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Ja Morant, and Devin, uh, I said Devin Booker, and... Zion when healthy let's say that's the group maybe there's a couple more that I'm forgetting but that's basically the entire group and so there's been two trades in the past three years of this caliber of player it is Anthony Davis trade which was a little bit before the deadline cutoff that we're talking about but the Anthony Davis trade technically didn't get finalized until August of 2019 so while it was done in June of 2019 didn't get finalized until August of 2019, wink, wink. So Anthony Davis and the first James Harden trade in 2021. So you're looking at the Anthony Davis trade, which was basically Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, four first-round picks, and two pick swaps was essentially what they got out of that trade. And regardless of the Pelicans messing it up, like they gave away Lonzo Ball for nothing, I'm sure Lonzo Ball should be worth a first-round pick. If, if you traded Lonzo Ball tomorrow, if the Bulls decided tomorrow we're going to trade Lonzo Ball, who wants him? You could get a first-round pick for Lonzo Ball. So, like, add Lonzo in the group even though the Bulls, I mean, the Pelicans gave him away for nothing. I think they didn't get good value on Lonzo. Think of it like Brandon Ingram, Lonzo, four first-round picks, and two pick swaps for Anthony Davis. And you can argue Josh Hart had value because they flipped Josh Hart in the deal for C.J. McCollum. But basically... You could also phrase it Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, three firsts and two pick swaps if you want. But I'm just basically calling it Brandon Ingram, Lonzo, four firsts and two pick swaps for Anthony Davis. Then you had the first James Harden trade in 2021. It was January 2021. And at the end of the day, this one's really easy. (laughs) The Rockets got four first round picks and four pick swaps. That's it. That's the entire trade, is four first-round picks and four pick swaps. Now, they also got Chris Levert in the trade, 
which they basically gave away Chris Levert for free. So they should have gotten more in that trade. But if for people who don't remember, they got Chris Levert in the trade from Brooklyn. They immediately traded him straight up for Victor Oladipo, and then they traded Victor Oladipo to Miami for Kelly Olynyk. And Kelly Olynyk walked in free agency. So they basically gave away Chris Levert for nothing. And I think Chris Levert could also command a first round pick. If tra- Actually, Chris Levert just got traded to Cleveland. What did Chris Levert get from Indiana in the, the trade to Cleveland? We can figure that out. But basically, you're looking at four firsts, four pick swaps for... Wow, Ricky Rubio got traded again. Wow, I can't believe how much Ricky Rubio has been traded. Um, but the Cavs... Oh, their lottery protected pick. Okay, and two seconds. Okay, so you can add in two second round picks. There you go. Uh... They got two second-round picks in exchange for Chris Levert. That's not terrible at all. And they protected their draft pick. So Indiana, Cleveland will send, wait, that Cleveland, this means that the first-round pick will convey to Cleveland since it's a lottery protected and the Cavs are in the lottery. First-round pick now going to Indiana in 2023. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, if Cleveland's in the lottery again, they get second-round pick and two seconds. Okay, so cool. They, they, it's either going to be a first next year or two seconds. So either a first rounder or two seconds for Chris Levert could have also gone to uh, the valuation of this trade. Chris Levert got a lottery protected first round pick or two seconds is basically the calculation there. So you could add in a couple extra picks, even a fifth first round pick, a couple seconds. It's all still semantics. James Harden got traded for four firsts and four pick swaps and whatever is left of Chris Levert. Okay, so those are the only Tier 2 trades. So let's calculate the difference between Tier 2 and Tier 4. And I know this is complicated, and a lot of you have probably checked out at this point. It's a very numbers-intensive podcast, but I'm really nerding out about this stuff. So Anthony Davis got traded for what is the equivalent of, like, if you traded Brandon Ingram tomorrow, what could you get for Brandon Ingram? Because it's difficult now, because once you get to Tier 1 and Tier 2 players... Only teams that also have top 20 to 25 players can even enter the table on such trades. So if you traded Brandon Ingram tomorrow, could you get two first round picks for Brandon Ingram? Probably. Could you get three first round picks for Brandon Ingram? Because Brandon Ingram's in the tier four group. Maybe you get three first round picks for Brandon Ingram. So let's say it's two for now. Let's say two first round picks for Brandon Ingram plus one first rounder for Lonzo. So that's seven first round picks and two pick swaps. If we add in the Caris Levert value that the Rockets just gave away, but the Pacers got the value because they flipped Levert for basically either a first round pick or two seconds, depending on how it conveys, you add in five firsts, assuming the Cavs make the playoffs next year, five firsts and four pick swaps. For Anthony Davis, the Pelicans got the equivalent value of seven firsts and two pick swaps. So you're looking at between four and five first round picks and multiple pick swaps because you can't trade draft picks in a single year. So you're looking at somewhere between... Five first round picks and eight first round picks is the equivalent value of a tier two star. And not all draft picks are equivalent. I'm acknowledging that on the front end too. You can layer in protections. It's impossible to figure out. We're just trying to get a gauge of the market. So you're looking at 
five to seven first-round picks and multiple pick swaps. And for a Tier 4 star, you're looking at three first-round picks. So if we're gauging the value of the Tier 3 group, because we had the Chris Paul trade in which the the Thunder valued him as a Tier 4 star, and that was too little value, and the second James Harden trade in which the 76ers valued him as a Tier 2 star, which was too much value for them to calculate on James Harden. So if we're doing that analysis, it looks like the Rudy Gobert trade is actually a good evaluation of what a Tier 3 star is worth. Because if Anthony Davis is worth 7 first round picks, and a Tier 4 star like DeJounte Murray is worth 3 first round picks, or Nikola Vucevic is worth 3 first round picks then five first-round picks feels to be about right for Rudy Gobert. But basically, it's the equivalent of four to six first-round picks to acquire a Tier 3 star. And I guess the Rudy Gobert trade is the best example we can point to of getting value for a Tier 3 star. So it looks like it takes four to five first-round picks to acquire a perennial all-star in the NBA, which is a good point to start on when figuring out what the value is worth for Kyrie Irving and Donovan Mitchell, who might get traded sometime here in the next week to two weeks, especially Donovan Mitchell, because Donovan Mitchell is as tier three of a star as you can get. He will make the all-star team every single year, and he will lose to all of the 10 players who are in the first two tiers. So if you're Utah, get Either a tier three star in exchange for Donovan Mitchell, or you get four first round picks, five first round picks. Maybe Donovan Mitchell's younger, so you value him as a tier two star or like the potential to become a tier two star. Someone will pay you for tier two star value. Donovan Mitchell can be worth up to five first round picks. Or six first-round picks. Maybe mix mix up some pick swaps and all that stuff. Just might work out very nicely for the Utah Jazz. So that's where Tier 4, Tier 3, and Tier 2 stars are. We'll run through it all at the end. Now we get to a generational superstar. And there are no trades of generational superstars that I can find. But the closest thing we have to such a trade is the Kawhi Leonard trade in 2018. So when Kawhi Leonard got traded, he got traded for DeMar DeRozan, who was at the time either a Tier 2 star or a Tier 3 star. He was going to make the All-Star team every single year. He made the All-Star team as a starter this year. He's one of the 20 best players in the NBA. Right now, I think he's a Tier 3 star. At the time, he might have been a Tier 2 star. But basically, they got DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Pertl, who just played three years for the Spurs but didn't really add any value to the team because the team didn't make any deep playoff runs. Jakob Pertl and a first-round pick. So in exchange for Kawhi Leonard, with one year left on his contract, they got a Tier 3 star and a first-round pick, and Jakob Pertl, who if you traded Jakob Pertl today, I'm sure someone would pay a couple second-round picks for Jakob Pertl, or trade him for another player of equivalent value to Jakob Pertl. Maybe you could get a late first round pick for him. So maybe if you traded Pertl today, let's say he's worth maybe a first round pick. So that's basically the trade of a tier three star for 
a tier three star and the equivalent of two first round picks because Jakob Pertl at the time he was traded was drafted. Oh, actually, this would be, this would make it easy. Wait, where was Jakob Pertl drafted? Was it? I can't remember what year he was, but he was like the eighth pick in the draft in two thousand. 16 and he was traded in 2018 yeah call it I called Wendell Carter a first round pick because Wendell Carter was traded in his second year as the number six pick in the draft Jakob Pertl was the nine pick in the 2016 draft that's a that's a first round pick so they traded DeMar DeRozan for two first round picks and or sorry DeMar DeRozan and two first sorry they traded DeMar DeRozan and two first round picks for one year of Kawhi Leonard and by the way, they'll, they'll trade it a million times again. So if they'll trade it a million times again, is that equivalent value for a tier one star? They gave up a tier two and a half star, tier two or tier three, depending on how you feel about DeMar DeRozan at the time, and two first round picks. So if we're doing that calculation and we're looking at four years of Kevin Durant, the value on Kevin Durant is trade a tier two star plus draft picks or a tier three star and like a tier three, like basically getting the value of two tier three stars. You're getting a tier two player and two firsts, or you're getting a tier three player and four first round picks if you're acquiring Kevin Durant. And maybe you can use those four first round picks to also get Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons is available for trade at this point so maybe Ben Simmons going over also is something where you have to add more value to a trade I know I threw out the the wacky wild wonky Brooklyn Miami trade of like Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons go to Miami Bam Adebayo Tyler Hero Kyle Lowry Duncan Robinson three first round picks two pick swaps go to to Brooklyn like it's it's difficult to do the calculation. There's only a few teams that can get in on this game. And it I'm, it's hard to do the speculation part of it as well. And it yeah, it's really difficult to do the speculation on who is going for what trade, but it's basically like you have to get an all-star caliber player in return and a lot of draft picks or two all-star caliber players. Maybe you get because remember, we said a tier four player is worth three first-round picks, right? So if the Brooklyn Nets got a tier three player and a tier four player in exchange for Kevin Durant, they'd probably be selling themselves short a little bit based on this value calculator. If they got... Who's a team that has a tier three and a tier four player? If they got Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero for Kevin Durant, they'd probably be selling themselves short. If they got Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero, maybe they're not selling themselves as short. Because Jimmy Butler right now is probably a Tier 2 player. He's, he's kind of in the same place as DeRozan. It depends how you feel about Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's right between Tier one and or Tier 2 and Tier 3. He's an all-star every single year. He gets better in the playoffs. He's obviously older now. So if they got Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero... They might be selling themselves a little bit short, but damn if they wouldn't be close. Damn if they wouldn't be close at this point. It would be a really, really close trait. So if you're Phoenix, it's going to have to be Aiton plus, plus, plus in order to land Kevin Durant. Because right now I think of DeAndre Aiton as like a tier four player. 
DeAndre Ayton's like a fringe all-star. So you're starting with a tier four player. It's going to take like a tier four player plus the equivalent value of trading for Rudy Gobert. So like you'd have to do DeAndre Ayton and five first round picks. Maybe you feel like Michael Bridges and Cam Johnson are worth two or three firsts. So then you have to do Ayton, Bridges, Johnson, and additional picks to make that trade work. And even then, you're only getting so much value back for Durant. It's such a tough trade to make. And the team that's probably best positioned to make such a trade, I don't know who exactly it would be, but it would be a team that has a Tier 2 star on the way out the door. And we just listed the Tier 2 stars. Like, it's it's Joel Embiid, which is not going to happen. It's Devin Booker, which is probably not going to happen. Although, maybe it would happen. It's probably not going to happen, but damn, it'd be interesting if they did. It would be Anthony Davis. It would be Ja Morant. It would be one of those guys in return. And damn, if it wouldn't be interesting to watch one of those teams. Jimmy Butler's the closest example I can think of with the Miami Heat. If Boston wanted to get in the game, maybe Jalen Brown. But Jalen Brown's not a Tier 2 star. Jalen Brown's a very definitive Tier 3 star. It'd be really interesting to watch them make that move. That would be the ideal trade candidate. would be someone with a Tier 2 star on the fringes, like a Jimmy Butler, or a Paul George, or a Donovan Mitchell. But none of those teams are probably going to trade for Kevin Durant at this point. The Clippers couldn't because they don't have the equivalent value to return. It'd be really interesting if someone came forth with such a package. And in the absence of that, you just got to get as many picks and a tier three player as you possibly can if you are if you are the Brooklyn Nets. So let's run through this one last time real quick here on the podcast. Let's run through these numbers, run through these calculations and tabulations real quick. So the value of a tier four star. We've realized that the DeJounte Murray trade is probably the best equivalent value you're going to find for such a trade, or the Nikola Vucevic trade last year. But it's basically Demata Sabonis, Mike Conley, DeJounte Murray, Nikola Vucevic, and Drew Holiday are the tier four players who've been traded in the last three years. And Sabonis went for Halliburton and Buddy Heald, which is the equivalent of two first round picks and Buddy Heald. Mike Conley went for two firsts and two seconds. DeJounte Murray went for three firsts, Vucevic went for three firsts, Drew Holiday went for two firsts and three first-round pick swaps. The Tier 3 group is Chris Paul, Rudy Gobert, and the second James Harden trade. But in hindsight, we now know that the clip, the, the Thunder valued Chris Paul as a Tier 4 player, and they didn't get enough for Chris Paul, and the Philadelphia 76ers valued James Harden as a Tier 2 player, and so they overpaid for James Harden, depending on how you feel about Ben Simmons too. But pretty clearly, Ben Simmons and three first-round picks is a lot to give up for James Harden. So then you have the Rudy Gobert trade, which is five first-round picks, not high first-round picks, but five first-round picks that might be the most equivalent value you can find of a Tier 3 perennial all-star. Then you have the Tier 2 trades, which is Anthony Davis and the first James Harden trade. Anthony Davis was traded for... Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, four firsts and two pick swaps. The first James Harden trade, not all this value went to the Rockets, but the trade was equivalent of four first round picks, four pick swaps, 
and either an extra first round pick or two seconds. So if you want to call it a first, say the Cavs make the playoffs next year, the first James Harden trade was five first round picks and four pick swaps. The Anthony Davis trade was the equivalent of seven first round picks and two pick swaps. And there were no tier one trades to report of, but the best we could find was the one year trade of Kawhi Leonard, which was in exchange for DeMar DeRozan and two first round picks. Which means if you're trying to calculate what Donovan Mitchell is worth, it's probably about the same price as Rudy Gobert, maybe a little bit more. And if you're trying to calculate what Kevin Durant is worth, it's probably either a tier two player or a tier three player plus additional draft picks or an additional tier four player. Which, by the way, if you've read the reports that the uh, the Thunder, or sorry, the Brooklyn Nets are trying to engage uh, another team on a Donovan Mitchell trade, make it a three team deal and have Utah end up with Donovan Mitchell, or sorry, Utah send Donovan Mitchell to Brooklyn and Kevin Durant go to another team. It's a little bit of a smart move for Brooklyn to try and engage because who's a tier three player who's on the outs with the team they're already with? It's Donovan Mitchell. Maybe, just maybe, he'll end up on the Brooklyn Nets. But basically, if you're trying to calculate a Kevin Durant value, it's either a a player who's ranked between 10 and 20th best in the NBA plus additional draft picks is the best value you're going to get. Because if Anthony Davis is worth seven firsts and two pick swaps and the first James Harden trade was worth five firsts and four first-round pick swaps, I don't think there's anyone who has the available draft compensation to even get in the game on Brooklyn. And by the way, Brooklyn wouldn't be incentivized to do so because Brooklyn doesn't own their own draft picks in the future. They sent them all to Houston. So Brooklyn would be taking someone else's picks and hoping they lose. So Brooklyn is incentivized to win now by getting either a Tier 2 player in draft picks or a tier three player and draft picks, or instead of draft picks, they could cash that in for a three-team trade and acquire another tier four star. Who's a tier four star that's available? Is it Mike Conley? We're going to double trade Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell to the, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Nets get a couple firsts, and Kevin Durant goes to Phoenix, and Utah gets DeAndre Ayton, Michael Bridges, <laughs> you know, that kind of trade. Who knows? I guess we'll figure it out as time goes along. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. There's a lot of numbers, a lot of calculations, a lot of tabulations on today's podcast. Tomorrow, it's going to be part two of our podcast, five-part documentary podcast series on the San Antonio Spurs. I'm very excited to share that with all of you. It has its own podcast feed, of course. You can check that out available anywhere that you get podcasts with the link in the description to this episode. You can find the fall of the Spurs dynasty and uh, we've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as wired up on Sundays. Occasionally we did a wired up with Morgan from Australia this week that you can check out as well. Let me know your thoughts on the NBA cheat sheet. If you have any, take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.